1: Terren Pritchett.
2: And in studio with me is the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com, Mr. Eric Hansen. And if you're watching on Twitch right now, you get an extra special bonus. He has brought with him his world-famous white sunglasses, maybe to put on during the show. If it gets too bright in here, by golly, he might put them on. Or he's, because he's such a star. Are we wrestling with our microphones yeah. here? We're attached to the same microphone stand, and when you pull yours, you pull mine away. So let's stand down. <laughs> All right. We welcome you to Budweiser's Weekday Sports speak on Sports Radio 960. WSBT. I feel like we're Charlie Brown trying to kick a football right now. Nine you know, min-
3: I I, pl- I played Charlie Brown in middle school and did the football thing. In a play or just yeah, on the playground? Play, in a play. On a, really? Yes. At a, and we went to, like, um, convalescent centers and entertained senior citizens. And so
2: you got to
3: fall. I did. I was good at falling.
2: <laughs> did you have something soft to land on? No, but I was a middle schooler. Oh, so you just absorb the contact. Correct. Look at that. I'll tell you what. That's why, in a, a few years, you would become a guy that would report Bob Knight stories because you were tough enough.
3: I was getting a D in the drama class, so I had to be in some <laughs> place to bring my grade up. <laughs>
2: Do whatever it takes. That's right. All right. And here you are today because of it. That's if it right. wasn't for you being in that play, who knows what you might be doing. As they said in one movie, maybe you're just a fire watcher. Right? You could have been
3: just a fire watcher. Oh, it was Caddyshack, I think, if I'm not mistaken. I think you're fire right. <laughs> There were some great lines for it. The world needs ditch diggers too. There
2: you go. That's another thing. All right. We've got some Notre Dame football to talk about here on
3: Budweiser's Weekday Sports
2: Beat on WSBT Radio. Some news that may not seem that important today or may wow you. But we're going to talk about a very important. I don't want to call it re-signing, but Notre Dame kept an important part of their organization today because Michigan was trying to steal him. We'll talk about that coming up in just a couple of moments. We had a Power 4 football coach decide to leave his head coaching position for a job in the NFL as a coordinator. Also, we will ask Eric his thoughts on tonight's Notre Dame women's basketball game, which will be on our sister station live, 99.9, starting at 645, the Irish At Georgia Tech. Every Wednesday at noon, Eric takes questions from people around the world that love Notre Dame football. And we're going to prove around the world today because I included a question from Melbourne, Australia. Maybe it wasn't the the greatest question, but I just want to talk about Melbourne, Australia. And we'll do that coming up in a little bit. We have our Twitter question of the day. In the six o'clock hour, another installment of who do I trust more? And I'll give you an example. Here's one of the questions, Eric. Who do you trust more, the College Football Playoff Selection Committee or the NCAA Men's Basketball
3: Selection Committee? And your first gut reaction would be? Um, There's been different iterations of the football committee. Normally them, not this group that's doing it now I would trust the basketball group okay
2: I love when you talk iterations yes <laughs> all right also I'm going to recap the Notre Dame loss to Virginia last night we've got some audio from Micah Shrewsbury his post-game comments after the 12-point loss to the Cavaliers in the world of betting it was a backdoor cover by the Irish Marcus Burton nailing those three free throws in the closing seconds and the Irish covered also, we've got our sports wagering segment. I went three and two last night. We've got three picks for you tonight, including the Big Ten matchup between Wisconsin and Nebraska. If the Badgers win, they retake sole possession of first place. If they lose, they fall a half a game behind the Purdue Boilermakers, who shot 46 free throws last night, Eric, and Northwestern shot eight. Wow. Yes. Yes, it's been an interesting storyline, and Chris Collins, the head coach of Northwestern, there was a bad call that went against Northwestern with about 15 seconds left in overtime, down three, that did hurt them, and the next time down, he kind of lost it, got thrown out because he was in the referee's face, so it was an interesting conclusion, but there's a lot of frustration in the Big Ten that Zach Eady gets officiated differently at 7-3, and I think that might be one of my opening topics for tomorrow's program, but we have Opening topics tonight. But let me ask you this, Eric. We found out today that a very important part of the Notre Dame football family is staying, and that is Chad Bowden. And he is a guy that is heavily involved in everything happening with Notre Dame football recruiting, the director of Notre Dame football recruiting. Michigan, from what we understand, offered him a lucrative deal to come to Ann Arbor with more responsibilities. But we found out today, Eric, that Chad is staying in South Bend. So you'd have to imagine that Notre Dame might have closed the gap between the offers, which I'm glad they did. For the average fan, they may not know who Chad Bowden is, but they really should because he is the heartbeat of everything that happens involving Notre Dame football recruiting. He enables Marcus Freeman to wield his magic.
3: Absolutely. And there wasn't anybody, there hasn't been anybody quite like Chad Bowden in the way that he does things. He reminds me most of Vinny Serato. Now, they've had some really good um, recruiting coordinators, per se. He's the director of recruiting. So he's not an on field coach, uh, but a lot of the kids call him Coach Bowden. Um, Just his creativity, his personality, his organization. You know, these kids go to a lot of visits. They see a lot of schools and a lot of them in better weather than what Notre Dame is in January. And they are very creative in how the visits go. And, again, his personality, we had Tom Lemming... long-time recruiting analyst on our podcast today. And really, it's the personality and the creativity that sets him apart. For him to go to Michigan, then he would have not only brought that to Michigan, he would have had, you know, here's here's how to recruit against Notre Dame. He Mm -hmm. would have kind of had the inner working. So this was uh, a really big retention on the part of Marcus Freeman. And, again, it reinforces that Notre Dame is willing – to give Marcus Freeman the resources he needs to be successful. Yes,
2: and it's a win-win for Chad. (laughs) Yes, it's a win-win for
3: Chad. He gets to stay, and
2: I think the bank account probably got a little better. So we just wanted to discuss that really quick. Again, may not be someone you're familiar with, but the heartbeat of Notre Dame football recruiting, and it's good to know that he is staying here at the University of Notre Dame. All right, now to our hat trick of opening topics for tonight. And by the way, you can read more about this story, Eric and Tyler and the crew at InsideIndieSports.com. They've got a story ready to be read at this particular time, again, at InsideIndieSports.com. Our first of three opening topics for tonight, Eric... I actually stole one of your chat questions and put it in the opening segment because I thought it was a really interesting question. Okay. And this was from Doug. I'll give him credit. He's down Doug in Florida. Doug sunny, sunny Florida. I he lo- rubs it in. I love how he uses an adjective in order to hammer it home that it's very nice down in Florida. Although, hey, what was it, 50 in South Bend today? Yeah. This was glorious. A beautiful day. Doug said to you, it's been well documented that Head coach Marcus Freeman puts in a lot of time and effort into recruiting, and it is certainly paying dividends. I asked a form of this question in a past chat, but after two years, your response may be different. Doug says the time that Freeman spends recruiting has to come at the expense of some other area of the job. Do you see him spending less time in an area or areas of the head coaching position than previous head coaches as a result? And if so, where and does it seem
3: beneficial or detrimental overall? Yeah. And interesting. Yeah, it is an interesting question, and it was hard to answer that with a straight-line question because I really wanted to preface it with this. I think what Marcus does in putting so much into the front end and the middle part of recruiting that a lot of head coaches don't do and that Brian Kelly didn't do, Brian Kelly was more of a closer, um, is that he saves himself wear and tear on the back end of recruiting. So by investing, let's say an assistant leaves in December like Jared Parker, kids don't bat an eye because they have a relationship with Marcus. Great point. And so when you're getting your team ready for a bowl game or in November when teams are trying to take away some of your better recruits, poach them from your class. You're on more solid ground because you have that relationship. So the investment is worth it. Now, are there other aspects where he's given up to be more of a career? I think sleep. I, I mean, he he told me one year he had his family go out of town to Disney World so that he could get sleep. He goes, oh, I won't go. You, you guys go. You deserve a vacation. And he wanted to sleep. Um, and get caught up on his sleep, so that was an interesting ploy. But I think some of it, he's just not as involved in the day-to-day offensive nuts and bolts that Brian Kelly was. He wanted me to compare Brian Kelly. Brian Kelly helped coach the quarterbacks. Marcus's dealings with the quarterbacks is different. It's more from a mental, emotional standpoint than it is, hey, you're throwing motion, this, this. He leaves that to Gino Gadouli. Um, and now
2: with Mike Denbruck, you really don't have to worry about the right, offense.
3: Right. So he delegates, I think, where he can. Brian, at least early on, was a real micromanager. He became a better delegator as time went on because he just, there wasn't enough room and time for him. But yeah, I don't think there's a lot. He's super organized. Brian Kelly was too. I mean, I don't hear about Marcus's golf game, so that probably suffers <laughs> or, or doesn't exist. So, Advantage Tyron Willingham there. (laughs) Exactly. All right, very good. So nobody's calling him Tiger.
2: No, that's for sure. And since we're talking about head coaches, we probably should just sit here and point this out. If you're reading online about Al Golden being a candidate for Boston College, which we'll get to in a second, the AD at BC was the AD at Miami when Al Golden was let go and there was some litigation to follow. I have a feeling... We probably should brush that aside.
3: We absolutely should brush it aside. I have it on good authority that there's no interest there. And that's the unfortunate thing about sometimes with these articles. They're not real clear that this is kind of a guest list, not a legitimate candidate list where people (laughs) have been vetted. And I I think it's okay to have a guest list as long as you present it as such. Just say, here's some names that might come up, here's some names that make sense. And then this is my opinion. Yeah. And then vet that out over time. But when people say here are the candidates and um, there is no thought on Boston College or Al Golden to to making this happen, then it really becomes a pain in the butt because Al Golden's not looking to get a job, I mean get a raise over the Boston College speculation. And then he has to tell recruits, no, I, I am not interested in this at all. Come to Notre Dame. Don't worry about what you're hearing about the Boston College thing. Some would argue being the defensive coordinator at Notre Dame is a better job than being the
2: head coach at Boston College.
3: <laughs> I, I think it, it it's you can make that case right now. I mean, the hockey arena is under the
2: football stands. That's true. It's, it's an interesting place. Yeah, that is an interesting setup now to the reason why any speculation took place. Our second opening topic for tonight. Eric, what is your reaction to a Power 4 college football coach leaving his position for an NFL coordinator job? In this case, it is Boston College's Jeff Haley. He is leaving Chestnut Hill for the Green Bay Packers.
3: Well, if you look at Jeff's resume, it's very NFL heavy. I mean, the um, assistance job that he briefly had at Ohio State, and then the head coaching job at Boston College is the deviation from it, but I mean, it's really been mostly NFL, so it feels like that's where he wanted to end up anyways. He was around Robert Sala, I think in San Francisco, where now he's the head coach of the Jets. So I, I think there are people that speculate, is this NIL stuff and everything that's going on with college athletics? The the big changes in college athletics that are here and could still be coming is that? I mean, maybe, um, you know, but I think Jeff is different than other coaches that might make the same move just because he was so heavily involved in the NFL and throughout most of his career. But yeah, it, it is to give up a head coaching job. Not a lot of guys would do that.
2: But let's also factor in, he's 44 years old, mm-hmm. so maybe there's a chance down the line he comes back to the college game, maybe he becomes a head coach at the NFL level. Who knows? But the fact is, he was like 22 and 26 in four years at BC, and you're getting to that point, Eric, where you're probably getting close to being on the clock. I think so. He was 7 and 6, if I'm not mistaken, this year. Yeah. So, if it was year two, then I think it would be more alarming, but... He's at the point where he's not winning ACC games. He's under 500 at BC, which I think is a tough place to win. I mean, where, where is your I recruiting think it, base? I <laughs> think
3: it is in the portal area, oh, era yeah. too, because you're not, you probably don't have the resources for NIL incentives for players to come to your program. I think you're more a program that's likely to get poached than you getting good transfers.
2: I think you can talk about NIL and that stuff, but I just think he knew he was getting to the point where he was going to be on the clock. Plus, the Packers defensive coordinator job, that's a pretty good gig. That's a really good gig, and you don't have to travel, recruiting. You don't have to worry about the NIL stuff. The NFL is a much more, dare I say, relaxing job than being a college football coach right now. Less stressful. Less stressful.
3: What's well, different? I mean, it's again, were, I mean, you look at how much well, Marcus and that staff is on the road recruiting. I mean, every opportunity that there's not a dead period, they are out. Let me rephrase there is stress
2: being an NFL coach. Don't get me wrong, yeah. but outside of the season, being a defensive coordinator is less stressful than being a head coach at the collegiate level. During the season, you are stressed. Non stop, there's no question, but when the games aren't being played, the season is over, it's a whole lot different. So now another domino will fall in the college football coaching circles. Boston College is now available. Our third and final hat trick of opening topics for tonight. Eric, what are your thoughts on Notre Dame women's basketball going on the road to take on Georgia Tech? Seven o'clock tip on live nine, nine. The Irish start tonight. Two games out of first.
3: Louisville leads the way. You know, the one thing I learned from watching um, Indiana basketball with Bob Knight, one of the things I learned was how much he would try to turn a big win into a season-changing event rather than a court storm and then you move on and you lose the next game. For example, Syracuse women beat Notre Dame twice this season. They got drilled in each of their games very next game. They, they lost to North Carolina by like 30. Um, so Notre Dame needs to say this is who we are and that's what Neil Ivey said in the locker room. Georgia Tech is kind of a middle of the pack team in the um, ACC. They're not super athletic. They don't get a lot of steals, don't force turnovers, don't block shots. Um, they don't rebound all that well, which is good news for Notre Dame. Mm. Um, what they do is they're cohesive. They don't turn the ball over a lot themselves. They have a lot of assists. Notre Dame needs to take good care of business in this game in Pittsburgh at home because the other contenders are playing each other. Notre Dame has three losses. Louisville's on top with one. A bunch of teams right ahead of Notre Dame have two. Syracuse and Louisville play each other tonight. NC State and North Carolina play each Mm. other. So before Notre Dame gets into that, they control their own destiny, even with three losses. They could be the ACC champ, but they need to build some momentum this week.
2: You can hear tonight's game on Live 99.9. As we close up shop on this segment, what were your thoughts on how the whole thing played out? During the UConn game, as we all know on Fox, Gus Johnson announced that Olivia Miles told him that she is done for the season. Of course, the injury last February. We have not seen her on the court since. And then in the postgame, Neil Ivy kind of got blindsided by the question. She did not know what Olivia had told Gus Johnson. Or at least that's the perspective we have from the outside looking in. She had to go check with Olivia what was going on. Just your reaction how this all played out and on the unfortunate nature of it happening on a night when it should have been all about Notre Dame thumping UConn in an environment that is really difficult to win in up there in Connecticut.
3: Yeah, I think it's unfortunate, and I think I haven't had a lot of conversations with Olivia Miles. I had a one-on-one with her last summer and really enjoyed getting to know her a little bit. And I think she'd want this one back because she showed no respect to her coach. She exactly. needed to let her know, hey, coach, I talked to Gus Johnson about this. It's going to be on the broadcast. I just wanted to let you know. I, I would imagine Neil wasn't blindsided by the decision. Neil was the blindsided question. by the question and yeah. the announcement. Her trying to preserve Olivia's privacy. And I think she's done a good job of that Amazing all season. Job. And so I think Olivia owed that to her, and being 19 or 20, whatever Olivia is, she probably would want that back and say, yeah, I could handle this different.
2: All she had to do was tell Nielle. Yep. Problem solved. Then Neil could have answered that question. Problem solved. Yep. All right. Live 99.9 Irish women's basketball in about an hour and 15 minutes. The Irish at Georgia Tech. Those are our opening topics for tonight. Coming up next, our InsideIndySports.com chat recap. We'll talk nothing but Notre Dame football coming up in our next segment here on
0: WSBT.
1: Football coverage continues now.
4: What's the score? The
1: nothing, nothing. Who's winning? The Bears. Co-hosting this hour is the publisher of InsideNDSports.com, Eric Hansen. He was bad at Kansas Clay. He bad at Sugar Ray. He bad at now, who that? You, the new boy. He got. Mike, Mike, look like a bulldog. He bad at him, too. Here's your host, Darren Pritchett. I don't know who that is.
2: It is 26 minutes in front of 6 o'clock. Sports beat tonight brought to you by Budweiser, the king of beers, locally distributed by United Beverage Company of South Bend. Sports fans, this Bud's for you by Barnaby's of Mishawaka and Granger, now at three locations serving Michiana's most favorite pizza since 1978. Bethel University's Adult and Graduate Studies. Visit BethelUniversity.edu slash SolidGround for details. First State Bank lends strength to our communities by devoting ourselves to helping local businesses grow and prosper. By the Food Bank of Northern Indiana. Hunger is a story we can end. Find out how at FeedIndiana.org. By Midland Engineering Company, beginning their second century of quality roofing experience. And the Mishawaka Education Foundation, granting a better future. Every Wednesday at noon, At InsideIndieSports.com, that's part of the Rivals Network, Eric Hansen co-hosts a Notre Dame football chat. He gets questions from around the world, and we will prove that tonight as we recap the chat. We start in Atlanta. Marie wants to know, how concerned are you about Michigan coming after Bowden? We now know the answer to that. He is staying. And do you think that Notre Dame will do what it needs to do to keep him? Apparently they did.
3: <laughs> that was the easiest question of all. But what I'll add to that is I I would be more concerned if other teams weren't coming after my coaches than them coming after. That shows that you have people that are really good at what they do. And for people that might say, hmm,
2: Bowden, Jim Bowden's his dad who used to be the general manager of the Cincinnati Reds. Correct, and does a lot of analyst work in the baseball world. He sure does. I never made the connection until the other day. Dumb me. Okay, John from Nebraska. He's wondering if the Irish are done recruiting the tight end position or is Wes Pritchett's son still on the radar?
3: No relation. (laughs) They got all the athleticism, to say the least. So Cooper Pritchett is Darren's son. Yes. uh, And he's a heck of a basketball player and a baseball player. Uh Okay, but He's okay. Uh, the one of West Pritchett's sons they are speaking of is Marshall Pritchett. Mm-hmm. Uh, his other son, Lawson Pritchett, is a freshman at Georgia Tech, will be a freshman at Georgia Tech this fall, and so Notre Dame will see them when they play Georgia Tech. Uh, Marshall is a three-star tight end. He goes to Rayburn Gap School in Georgia, which is Boarding school, which gets a lot of international students. Notre Dame has looked at players down there. They also have, obviously, domestic students, but it's a really good football program. It's out in the middle of nowhere. It's right on the Georgia South Carolina border, uh, but it's a really good program. But he does not have an offer from Notre Dame. Now, they have James Flanagan committed in this class, who's the number seven tight end and is Jim Flanagan's son, so he's a legacy recruit. They have their eyes on other tight ends as bringing a second tight end. I know they'd like to get Lincoln Cure out of Kansas, and he's kind of trending toward Kansas State. So we'll see. I mean, maybe they'll work their way down there, but right now it's not in the cards. Marshall has visited Notre Dame, I read on your site, four times. Correct. So there's interest on his part. But I think Notre Dame is looking at other players. And again, they can always change their mind.
2: This town is big enough for two Pritchett. So come on, let's go.
3: <laughs> All right, next up.
2: And of course, Wes, great Notre Dame linebacker Right, back from in the, the day. 88 yeah. national championship team. Mark from Orange County, California. Eric, do you think Spring Camp will be a true quarterback tryout or only a tryout to determine the number two quarterback?
3: I think it's a competition to determine one through four. I don't think any of those positions are fixed. Agreed. And it was, it was interesting because on the podcast, I asked uh, our podcast today inside ND sports podcast with Tom lemming. I asked him who he would push his chips in for 2025 after Riley Leonard leaves. And he said, CJ Carr. now he's very impressed with how Steve Angeli has developed. But he still would go with C.J. Carr. He thinks he is the most talented of that group, including Deuce Knight, including Kenny Minchie. As far as what, how real is this competition going to be, I think that's really what Mark wants to know. If it, if it's really, um, if Steve Angeli has a chance, I think Notre Dame is open-minded to it. I think they brought in Riley Leonard, thinking he was the number one quarterback. If the competition tells them something different. I think they'll go in that direction, and they've had a history of that with different coaches and going. There. I never thought Ian Book would leapfrog Brandon Wimbush, and not only was I wrong, but it actually turned out to be a pretty good move on Notre Dame's part. But uh, I think they're they're going into it believing that it's Riley Leonard's job to lose, and and we'll see. Okay, C.J. Carr, early enrollee, get a lot of
2: opportunities. But at the end of the day, don't you imagine that Leonard Angeli at the start, I'm not saying perfect numbers, but close to 50-50 with number one I think that's what they'll reps. give
3: them. But what makes it challenging is trying to install a new offense, have that quarterback competition, and also develop Minchie and Carr because those guys both have – very high ceilings, and you'd kind of like to see what they could do, too.
2: Okay, we're going through some of the questions Eric was asked in his InsideIndieSports.com chat every Wednesday at noon. Ryan from Mars, Pennsylvania. <laughs> what do you think about our chances of getting Jerome Bettis Jr. when he makes
3: his decision, a good-looking young wide receiver? Yeah, I've been to Mars, Pennsylvania before. I thought he, you know, I, I used to put – Name and hometown or at least your home planet. And then he was Ryan from Mars. And Okay. Uh, I think Notre Dame is the leader for Jerome Bettis Jr. He's visited a bunch of times. I will say this. Charleston Bowles, our recruiting writer, did a feature with him recently. And this visit was very different for him. Getting to know Mike Brown, he was just getting to know Mike Denbrock. He really felt like, he knew what his role would be, and he was a lot more excited about this visit. I think he was Jerome's son until this visit. This visit, he was Jerome Bettis Jr. He was himself, and and kind of felt like that, felt like a priority. But I don't think he's eager to just pick the school everybody thinks he's going to pick. I think he wants to enjoy the process and take it a little bit further, but I think he'll end up at Notre Dame. He's from He lives in George, uh, the Atlanta area. We got a Steeler thing happening
2: right now. Ryan Clark's son is here. Yeah, as a grad transfer, Bettis Burris. Right, very interesting. Okay, Len from the Jersey Shore. He says, Eric, as January comes to a close, what would you consider the five biggest surprises concerning the Notre Dame staff and roster since the regular season ended? Now. He has a list for you. You could say Bull opt-outs, who opted for the draft, who was, was not asked to play in postseason all-star games, staff changes, new staff positions. I could go on and on and on. So we're
3: looking, I guess, for the top five storylines of the offseason. So in general, unless I know I have to do math, (laughs) I just try to do these off the top of my head. I try to do them quickly so that I can move on to the next question. People are like, did he go out for lunch? Um so I went with Chancey Stuckey's firing. These are not necessarily you know, or just the five that came to me. And that makes sense because the staff was going to stay together, and
2: then right. 24 hours later, a guy was gone.
3: And he was such a good recruiter. Yep. Rico Flores, Flores Jr.'s transfer out, which was related to the Chancey Stuckey firing, he was the guy that didn't want Chancey to go. Um, then I said Notre Dame administration working with the football team to admit junior transfers. That's massive. Riley Leonard and Bo Collins. Exactly. Oh. I'm interested w- when we talk to Riley tomorrow on Friday to find out how his class thing works. Is he going to get a Duke degree? Is he getting a Notre Dame degree? How they worked that. Now, Bo Collins is finishing up at Clemson remotely. So he will get a Clemson degree, then become a grad transfer. But Riley Leonard isn't doing that. So it, that, to me, is really interesting. And it, you're right, it's huge. Um, then also, Charles Jagaza starting at left tackle in the Sun Bowl. And then Steve Angeli putting up the best pass efficiency rating <laughs> by a Notre Dame quarterback in the past 50 years in a starting debut. Ooh. And who who were the two guys that he edged for that?
2: Pass efficiency rating by a Notre Dame quarterback in the past 50 years in a starting debut. debut. So, in
3: their first start, Steve Burline. No. I'm just throwing Think, something out there. Let, let me give you a clue on one of them: okay. Beano Cook. Oh, Rick Meyer. Or Rick Meyer, Ron Paulus. Correct. The other one is Sam Hartman. Sam Hartman's Navy. debut against Navy. So, that's interesting. <laughs>
2: Hmm, Hmm. okay, very good. I wonder how much they're going to miss Rico Flores Jr. Because I thought he was a blossoming big-time player. Now, I know they got parts coming in, and we'll see if it all works out, but I just hated to see him go more than
3: anybody. I hated to see him go more than anybody because I just liked how fearless he was and how the spotlight and the pressure and all that stuff didn't bother him. He was able to cut right through that. Had the touchdown against Ohio State. Put him in front for a short time. If only he could have said, hey, wait a second. There's only 10 guys on defense. Just run out there, Rico. Just run out there. I'll go play. I'll go play (laughs) defensive tackle.
2: (laughs) Or he could have said, hey, go put in Audrick Estime at running back. Ah, Let's don't go down that road. All right. So that was Len from the Jersey Shore. Next up in our Recap of Eric's chat at InsideIndieSports.com. Matt from Kansas City. Do you think helmet headsets are coming? So this is in reference to what we see in the NFL, that the play caller passes along the play into the quarterback's speaker in his helmet. Yeah, and so... And this was tried a little bit in the bowl season.
3: Right, so all the sign-stealing stuff goes away. (laughs) And unless you're headset isn't working, then you still have to have signs. We talked to Al Golden about this once, uh, one of the Tuesdays, and he was like, why don't we have this in college? Uh, The money's there, the technology's there, it works great in the NFL. Uh, Yeah, I do think it's coming. There's no argument against it. There's no reasonable argument to say, no, let's not do this. Let's still have the signs and the you know, and the signed stealers. It's kind
2: of comical. Just as an example, we actually had this conversation with us in the front row in the press box. I know you're in the middle row, but us in the front row, we were watching, and this is while the Stallions Michigan thing was unfolding, an opposing team of Notre Dame at Notre Dame Stadium. They had a couple of people hold up poles and curtains, basically, to <laughs> hide the signal callers. Here's two things. Number one, as high as we were, we could see over them. So mm. if Notre Dame had – this is hypothetical. If Notre Dame had someone up high, you could still see them. Number two, the coaches are across from them. Mm. So you could have someone, theoretically, in your coaching box looking down with binoculars, and you're going to see everything. So holding up the curtain thing is just ridiculous to me.
3: Right? Now, this is all hypothetical, but I'm just saying – Look at all what will mess with the headsets and – yeah, that needs to come next year. That It, it can't get here. It needed to come yesterday. It can't get here soon enough.
2: I'd just like to know some of the reasons why they have some of the emblems that they have on their signs, like NASCAR. What? Yeah.
3: I'm sure it means something.
2: Okay, so is there any chance this happens next year? Do you think it's a couple of years
3: away? I, I don't know why it wouldn't because the technology either. is already there. So it's – and the NFL has – kind of gotten through the bugs with it so there's no reason not to do this.
2: Now in the bowl season the feed never cut off Mm -hmm. so if you had a new quarterback like for example Steve Angeli if they had it in his his ear they could have told him hey watch the corner watch the corner he's showing blitz. In the NFL it cuts off with 15 seconds to go and then there's a hum so if you apparently if you're the play caller on the sideline you push the button there'll be a an annoying sound in your ear. So you let go immediately. So you can't even communicate after 15 seconds. In the bowl season, you could talk through the snap. So I wonder, is that something that you would like to see? There's got to be a cutoff point? Yeah. I mean, 15 seconds on the play clock makes sense
3: to me. The way Al Golden described it to us, it just made sense. And there are certain people on your team that are designated as the ones that have the headsets. Not everybody has them. So you're still going to have to – be able in a noisy stadium signal to your teammates, you know, snap count and stuff.
2: You know, if they would have had these, maybe Gilligan would have been saved off that island. Their equipment never worked good enough. And the skipper.
3: Even when the professor made uh, a radio out of. Coconuts. uh, Coconuts, yeah. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) Coconut cream pie. Poor Thurston.
2: (laughs) And Lovey, (laughs) if they would have had these headsets, by golly, there'd be movies made about them from their recovery. All right, finally, I just wanted to say Melbourne, Australia. You got a question from Melbourne, from Dustin, and he wanted to know your take on the Notre Dame administration. If they have a threshold which they will not cross with respect to paying players amid the current chaos of NIL, this might sound outlandish. But if NIL is not regulated, does Notre Dame want to compete in this market in which players become de facto employees as opposed to students first? That's from Dustin
3: in Melbourne. So my response was, let me put down my Vegemite sandwich. And if you <laughs> if you know the uh-huh. men at work or know uh-huh. Australia, yes, you know what a Vegemite uh, sandwich is. I got is. you. I'm with you. Okay. So... Here's the thing. I can answer this, and I did, and it can be out of date a week from now. But, you know, I mean, if you were looking at Twitter last night, there's Virginia and Tennessee versus the NCAA, which is threatening the amateur model if the NCAA loses this. So, but but what I would say with this, Notre Dame, where it is in this snapshot today is comfortable with its place in the NIL space. And one of the reasons is because their number one collective fund, Friends of the University of Notre Dame, they use their NIL space to help community and charity. So players that get money do so in helping youth and helping at the food pantry, helping different charities – so it stays consistent with Notre Dame's mission. If we get too far down the road with employees and unions and things of that nature, I mean, maybe Notre Dame will have to rethink things or maybe they'll adjust, but that's not today's reality. I'm not saying it won't be next year's reality or two years from now.
2: I find it interesting, and without getting into too much detail, this is another team in college hockey, but there's one team that I learned about with NIL stuff, even in college hockey, they don't really offer much to the young talent coming in. And they, in this program I'm thinking of, they can bring in the best of the best. Right. They're kind of like Alabama in football or mm-hmm. you know where I'm going. But what they've decided to do is they will invest more in the NIL money to keep players one more year instead of
3: going pro. You're hearing that. Uh, in football, too, to a certain extent, you're also hearing money being more pushed toward incoming transfers than unproven. No matter Bingo. how, yes. no matter how many stars they have, you've got to have a track record. We know these transfers are proven players, so they are worth more than trying to get a player to sign a letter of intent, which he could bow out of within one year Hmm. it does make a lot of sense why invest in someone you really
2: don't know how good they're going to be but if you've got a a good player and maybe they're only good enough to go to the minors Hmm. i'm talking hockey now yeah next year why spend time going on buses and the money may not be as good as what you can get staying in college maybe you have better money you've got use of the strength and conditioning program which is going to be so helpful and you get to play another year of college hockey and continue on in your education if that is important to you. But the school I'm talking about, I don't think it's overly important, but that's beside the
3: point. Well, here's a, here's a good um, example. Now, I'm not implying what Keon Keeley got in terms of an NIL money going to Alabama. But let's pretend it was an incredible sum and in Notre Dame. You know, had Keon Keeley committed in the class for a while, he ends up at Alabama. There were some other schools that were involved later on. Guess what? He didn't play a down at Alabama as a freshman. Isn't that something? Now, he can go into the portal uh, after spring practice and go somewhere else. He's not in the transfer portal now, but he could. If Alabama, let's say, had laid out six figures for him, that would have been a very poor investment especially if he said, I'm going in the transfer portal and seeing what else I can get somewhere else, or I'm just not happy here, or I'm not happy with the coaching change. I mean, the NIL thing, it's a whole lot better than the
2: old handshakes with money in the hand. Right. Or as the Ramones once sang, somebody put something in my drink. Maybe it was a $50 bill, right? The Ramones were ahead of their time. How did you know that? I looked it up really quick. Okay. I was looking for a Ramon song with a money theme, and that's the best I could come up with. Uh, although I did see I don't want to grow up. That's <laughs> There's there's a lot of college kids that don't want to grow up. They just want to keep the NIO money coming. That's for sure. All right. You can get the entire chat recap at InsideIndieSports.com, and then next Wednesday at noon, Eric is back live. You can ask a question, have some fun at Inside Indie Sports. Dot .com 555 Twitter question of the day next on WSBT
1: This is the Budweiser's weekday sports beat Twitter question of the day from Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
2: He's Eric Hansen, the publisher and editor at InsideIndieSports.com. My name is Darren Pritchett. And on Twitter X, each weekday we ask you a sports beat InsideIndieSports.com Twitter question of the day. Yesterday, what is your best guess to what the Notre Dame quarterback depth chart looks like coming out of spring practice now I only gave three choices you can have four total but if you go more than three then you have to kind of go six seven because you bring CJ Carr into the conversation so I left CJ out I'm not anti CJ but I'm working with what Twitter X gives me so I kept it simple which do you believe will be the way the depth chart looks kind of hypothetically coming out of spring, because there's not going to be a spring post-practice step chart. Number one, Leonard Jelly Minchie. Number two, Leonard Minchie Jelly. And number three, Jelly Leonard Minchie. You delivered your vote of? Leonard Angeli
3: Minchie, basically chalk.
2: Okay. 13% third place went with Anjeli leonard and minchi second in the voting 17.5 percent went with leonard minchi and jelly and everybody was pretty chalky on this 69.5 percent said the notre dame quarterback depth chart coming out of spring practice will be riley leonard then steve Angeli, then kenny minchi so, Chalk was the correct answer, Mr. Hansen, and that would not be a shock. In fact, it would be an upset if this hypothetical post spring practice depth chart would look any different, right? Agreed. Okay. And again, everybody is high on CJ Carr. Maybe he does great things, but you got a lot to catch up knowledge wise to where the other three are. So, that's why they still have an advantage. But it's interesting. All Angeli does when he's asked to play, he does very, very well. But he could still slip backwards going into next year. It's possible. Right. right. It's very possible. Just keep doing your work. We'll see what happens. We thank you for voting. And now we get to today's question. It's a a
3: first-world problem to have this many good quarterbacks. That's a good way of putting it. Yeah, I like that.
2: All right. Now to today's question. Really curious to see how this plays out. These are two coaches that Notre Dame will face this year. Who is the better college football coach? Florida State's Mike Norvell or USC's Lincoln Riley?
3: Your thoughts. At first, I thought this was a difficult question, and the more I thought about it, it became easy. I think if I had to say I want one of these guys to call an offensive play for me that's going to win or lose a game, I would pick Lincoln Riley. If I want a a coach that's going to build a complete program, I want Mike Norvell. I think Lincoln Riley will get all kinds of offensive talent and know how to coach it and not be able to put together a defense. And that's part of his evolution. That's what he's got to have to show where USC is going to get its butt kicked in the Big Ten. Mike was handed a tough deck of
2: cards late in the year, losing his quarterback Jordan Travis, going undefeated, winning the ACC championship against a really good Louisville team. Or at least we thought it was a really good Louisville team. At times they didn't look that good. They looked really good against the Irish that night. But Norvell, all he's asked to do is win every game. And he did that, but it just didn't work out for the playoff because they weren't the same team without Jordan Travis. And I totally respect the committee's decision.
3: The um, uh, I'll, that's a debate for another day. Yes, it is. But but I will say, Florida State was built on both sides of the ball, and he does. Mike Norvell does a great job with the transfer portal and getting the right guys and getting a good hit rate on those guys. Not just bringing in a whole bunch of transfers, and some of them are good locker room guys. Some of them are and He he's done a really good job there. When, that ACC game, Florida State and Louisville, when Florida State was playing its third string quarterback, Florida State's defense oh, were like, Steve. my goodness, these guys are good.
2: They were national championship caliber. Yep, on defense. Without Travis, offensively they
3: were challenged to say the least. All right, it was it was like watching an Iowa game it was it's like five to four.
2: It was actually trying to do an impersonation of Iowa and doing a better job than Iowa. Yeah,
3: exactly.
2: <laughs> did you see who their new offensive coordinator is?
3: Gosh, I did. And I can't remember who it Bill is.
2: Western Michigan head coach, Tim uh, Lester. Oh yeah. Can't do any worse. Okay. Right. Well, as <laughs> as long as he's not related to the head coach. Well, they didn't score a point the last two games, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, boy. We thought we had issues. All right, 6.05 is our time. You can vote on Twitter X. My account is 960 Sportsbeat. Who is the better college football coach, Norvell or Riley, results on tomorrow's program? Eric,
3: we'd love for our listeners to go to your
2: website, Uh
3: You will find our latest Inside Indy Sports Podcast. Tom Lemming, longtime uh, recruiting analyst on Chad Bowden staying. All the little details about the 2025 class. Tom is currently in Virginia seeing all kinds of recruits. We have the story on Chad Bowden staying from Tyler James, where all the um, Notre Dame coaches were on the road today. We have the basketball game story from last night, Virginia and Notre Dame. The chat transcript, I'll have coverage of the women's game tonight, Georgia Tech and Notre Dame women, and much, much more. And I'll leave you with
2: this. If you've listened to our program any time over the last 12 years, you know Eric kind of cut his teeth in the business covering Bob Knight at Indiana. This little nugget came up. This was about two years before you went on the Indiana Beat. Right. But on this date, yesterday in 1981... Bob Knight and Gene Cady faced off for the first time. And Indiana prevailed 69-61. Of note in the game, Bob Knight got a technical foul one minute into the game. Coach Cady was then whistled for two technicals for protesting why Knight was not assessed a second technical (laughs) That is so, Knight and Katie. That is an awesome story. I would love to see video
3: of this. It was uh, it was a pleasure, and I have I could write a book on just the Knight Katie um, rivalry. It was amazing. I came along a couple years after that game, but it was amazing.
2: I mean, you've sat in Katie's office, so you knew him very well when he was the Purdue coach. Does that surprise you?
3: Not at all. <laughs> Not at all. And and I mean, the one thing that was really interesting about those guys, they were elite in their own ways. Knight had much more success in the tournament than Gene Cady, but Gene Cady won a lot of Big Ten championships, had some really good teams. It's just the different paths they came. Bob Knight had a lot of very well-known mentors, Claire B., Pete Newell. I mean, these legends in college basketball. Gene Cady learned from a lot of really good coaches that nobody ever heard from. He came up the back roads. Junior college guy himself got cut from the Pittsburgh Steelers. Um, He was a two-sport athlete. So, yeah, they were really a lot of fun to cover.
2: (laughs) You get two technicals for complaining that the other guy did not get two
3: technicals. Well, I'll tell you what. I mean, at the end it was – amazing how things came full circle because when Bob Knight had dementia, Gene Cady was (laughs) – I mean, it it just touches your heart how compassionate he was to make Bob Knight's life better. I mean, he spent the day with him when he came back to Assembly Hall, and Bob Knight didn't remember it the next day. Mm. But when Bob Knight came back to Assembly Hall for the first time since he was fired, Gene came with him. You know was reassuring with him spent the whole day with him it is amazing but when they were competing i will say this they hated each other's guts i think that's fair and they play golf when they year. play golf once except a year. except the first time that gene swept the series the helicopter that was picked up night didn't have bob knight on it that year so i'm tired of losing to Purdue. exactly
4: yeah. <laughs>
2: So, there was no golf game when Katie swept night for the first time. It
3: was not. But I, I mean, I will. I learned so much and enriched my career so much spending about a decade covering both of those guys. Oh, my
1: gosh. I'm tired of losing to Purdue.
3: <laughs>
2: Just so you know, I had to do a little editing on that one.
3: <laughs>
2: As you can imagine. Well,
3: I'll tell you a quick story
2: sure. if you got time. No, go so, ahead. So. I'm keeping you longer,
3: so I apologize. So I had this uh, opportunity to interview Bob Knight one-on-one. And believe me, it's a long process. I said, well, how do I go about this? I asked the sports information director. He goes, you need to write him a letter. And I said, really? And so it was like in the summertime, I wrote the letter why why I wanted to interview him one-on-one. And then in November, one day he said, come on down. Um, and so I drove I was at South Bend, drove the four hours down there through a pretty bad snowstorm. And the guy that was in charge of basketball at the time, sports information director, Knight was really on the war path that day with his team and he's like, <laughs> I don't think you wanna interview him today. I go, I drove through a terrible snowstorm, bring it on. So um He's like, I don't think this is going to go well. And I said, well, I don't care. I'm in a bad mood, too. So so Knight comes over. He puts his arm around me, and he goes, what Pul- Pulitzer Prize winner are we working on today? <laughs> I go, well, I go, that's up to you and how good your answers are. And he That thought, took some guts to yeah, say that. Yeah, he thought that was pretty funny. Um, I mean, we're both Ohio State grads, so we have that weird gene that, I don't know. Maybe we should keep our mouth shut when we <laughs> shouldn't. But was, what was funny was Brian Evans, this Ford. Lefty. Yeah, really good shooter. 34. He came out to get some f- extra shooting after practice. And oh, so gosh. I'm taping the interview. Oh, and, no. and so night, in between answering my questions is heckling <laughs> Evans in language that you can't reproduce. But every sound bite was clean. So if I had brought that back and played it on the radio, we could have done that. Now, we would have had to edit out the heckling in the <laughs> middle. But he was so precise on what he was doing, making sure my answers were G-rated, that the heckling was not G-rated. It was amazing. He's still the thing that was the, the amazing thing to me that his brain works so fast is he hated this kind of question how much of you scoring 65 points was their defense and how much was your offense just struggling? And he would give you an answer that added up to 100%, but it'd be out to like the eighth decimal. So it'd be like, well, thirty (laughs) two point three four eight five one two nine percent was our offense. And and he would have the corresponding number for the defense. Did Evans react at all to what he was saying? No. He just... Deadpan it. Just ignored it. No. Smile. (laughs) No. Keeping his hand in the air when he'd make a three-pointer, he just went about his business.
1: You want to talk? What are you, an English major?
2: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my. There'll never be a Big Ten like the 1980s. It was the golden era of Big Ten basketball. The coaches were just... Heathcote, Henson, Knight, Katie, Frieder, Foster, Yoder, yeah. Dr. Tom. I mean,
3: it was just
2: – Raveling was at Minnesota for – was it Minnesota? No, that was
3: – Raveling was at was Iowa. Iowa before Dr. Tom. That's right. It was Lute Olson Raveling, then Dr. Tom in a pretty quick su- succession.
2: Clem Haskins was at Minnesota. But that Clem Haskins was at Minnesota. 90s.
3: Clem Haskins was Minnesota in the 80s. Was he? Some. Okay. Yeah. That's
2: who I was thinking of. Good, good stuff. All right. I can still picture Judd Heathcote being upset, grabbing the basketball at the Assembly Hall in Champagne and bouncing it really hard at his feet. And the ball went through his hands and hit him right in the nose.
3: <laughs> the judge thought the, the worst one for me oh with Dr. Tom Davis, Dr. Tom was Peter, C- excuse me, pardon w- me, w- was a little guy. You know, kind of like if Barney Rubble came to life—that's Dr. Tom.
2: Oh, that's really good.
3: And and he was a heck of a coach, but you know, you—I was sitting right in front of him at a press conference at Purdue. And he comes in, and people are saying, hey, coach, this and that. And then this radio guy in his radio voice goes, oh, Dr. Tom. <laughs> and I just started laughing. And and he's looking at me, and I go, I'm sorry. I just, I'm I'm ill. I'm, I'm just not a good person. Well, that was
2: good practice for your Notre Dame Brian Kelly press conferences. It was. And Dr. Times- Tom.
3: <laughs> 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 well, they did that one time uh, with Kevin White when – uh, Tyrone Willingham got fired. All of a sudden, people were calling him Dr. White that day. And I'm like, <laughs> Dr. White? He looks like he needs a doctor because it wasn't his decision to fire Tyrone. And he had to explain it. Oh,
2: someday the book's going to be really good. You know that? It's fun. Oh, my gosh. All right. You got to go cover the Irish women's basketball I team. Do. So. More Bob Knight stories on another day. How about that? Sounds good. Check out Eric at InsideIndieSports.com. It's 6.15. We'll sneak in a sports update in a moment here on Sports Radio 960 WSBT.
1: You can listen to Budweiser's Weekday Sports Beat live or on demand with our free WSBT radio app. Just search WSBT radio in the App Store and Google Play. Now, back to local sports talk on Sports Beat with your host, Darren Pritchett.
2: 626 at Sports Radio 960 WSBT. I'm Darren Pritchett. We're on the air until 7 o'clock tonight. Don't forget Notre Dame women's basketball on Live 99.9 at the top of the hour. mishawaka Caveman basketball hosting the Warsaw Tigers in a huge NLC showdown on our sister station, 96.1 the ton, in just about one hour. Also tonight, another big NLC matchup. The two leaders who are 4-1 are playing tonight. Northwood at Concord. Then you got Mishawaka at 3-1, Warsaw. And I believe Northridge also at 3-2. So you can catch Mishawaka and Warsaw on 96-1 the ton in just about an hour. The Notre Dame basketball team last night dropped their fifth consecutive game. Unlike some of the more recent games where the Irish were right there coming down the stretch, really wasn't the case last night. Virginia put together a terrific first half. Notre Dame got to within eight a couple of times in the second half. It wasn't ever like they were putting a lot of stress on Virginia, and the Cavaliers ended up winning 65-53. The first half really offered a pretty good feel for how the game was going to play out as they put up a 38-23 halftime lead, and Virginia did an amazing job from the three-point line. Keep in mind, they hit... Two three-pointers against Notre Dame in South Bend December 30th when the Irish won by 22. They made two. They made nine in the first half against the Irish last night. Nine of 15 three-pointers in the first half to build that 15-point lead. Jacob Groves was a thorn in the side of the Irish in the first half. He was five of six from the three-point line. It had 15 points in the first half, and there were some open threes being knocked down by Virginia as Micah Shrewsbury's team lost some shooters along the way, but it was one of those nights, hey, even if you have an open shot, you got to make them, and Virginia was hitting those shots last night. Fighting Irish head coach Micah Shrewsbury watching Groves knock down those three-pointers, and Virginia do a lot of damage from the three-point line.
4: any different in game one and game two, right? He and done, we were both starting, but uh, we garden with the same people, right? And how we started the last game and started this game. Um, you know, he just got free in, you know, in communication mistakes. And now once you hit one, you start feeling good, right? He hits probably two or three on pick and rolls, and then he gets another one in transition where it's just recognition of He's already made some, I should run to him and make him skip it to somebody else, right? And then, um, you know, a couple other ones late. But, you know, once you let a guy get in the rhythm, um, it makes it really tough. You know, their guards do a good job of finding them, uh, getting into the paint. uh, That's when they're really, really good is when
2: when they get in the paint. While Virginia were knocking down those three-point shots in the first half, Notre Dame was having their issues on the offensive side in the first half. They made nine field goals and had nine turnovers. The 23 points scored by the Irish in the first half was a season low for Micah Shrewsbury's team.
4: You know, the sign of a good team, which they are, well, the Coach team is they're starting to hit their stride right now. And, you know, winning four straight coming into this, like making lineup changes still getting great production from a a bunch of different guys. Uh, They're starting to hit their stride. It was a tough task for us coming in here into i I've never been here. It's my first game, but it's a tough environment for Notre Dame in general. So we knew it'd be a tough task and we we already have a, a small margin for error. Just the way they shot the ball and the way we turned
2: it over just wasn't the recipe for success. All right, so the Irish were down 15 at halftime. They put together a surge early on in the second half. As I mentioned on a couple of occasions, they got it to within eight, but ultimately, Virginia always seemed to have an answer and pulled away for a 12 point victory. But the Irish did get off to a pretty good start in the second half to at least put a little pressure on Virginia.
4: Uh, we have just been really trying to focus, I'm just I'm just executing what I'm supposed to do, right? doing my job as much as possible. And I thought um, we had lapses of that, and every time we didn't do it, they scored, they capitalized, they punished us. We did it more to start the second half. There's some human nature involved, too, right? You go in with a pretty good lead. I mean, some teams take their foot off the gas. And we were ready and fired up to go and, um, you know, just forced some of those turnovers and helped us. But we were more locked in early on. I thought we were really good defensively when we were fresh. I thought we were pretty poor when we got tired.
2: All right. So in the second half, the Irish actually outscored. The Cavaliers 30 to 27. Freshman guard Marcus Burton led the way with 17 points. Another really good performance from Braden Shrewsbury, who's shooting just a little under 50% from three. Of the last five games, he's really found his shot. 16 points last night for Shrewsbury as he hit four of eight three-point shots. Not a lot from the Notre Dame Bigs last night. Jai Davis, Booth. They combined for 6 points on 3 of 8 shooting from the field with 7 rebounds. Virginia always makes it tough down in the paint against your bigs. So for Virginia, they have now won 22 consecutive games at home. They have a 5-game winning streak and they have never lost to the Fighting Irish in their building. Notre Dame has now lost 5 in a row. They are 7 and 14 on the season, 2 and 8 in the ACC. Two more road games to come before the Irish are back home. Saturday, the Fighting Irish are at Pittsburgh. Saturday, 6 o'clock tip here on WSBT Radio with 5.30 pregame. And then early next week, the Irish go to Cameron to take on the Duke Blue Devils. Some more Fighting Irish hockey. Or I'm sorry, Fighting Irish basketball comes your way Saturday at 6. Notre Dame taking on. Pittsburgh. I just printed out some hockey details. Now I got hockey in my head. All right, we'll take a timeout. 633 on your home of the Fighting Irish, Sports Radio 960, WSBT.